You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust, bringing conservation to the forefront. Well, welcome back um, to the second week of January. We had Crystal last week, and it was a bombshell of an episode, but this week we got the big kahuna. <laughs> we caught the big fish this week. Um, so we have got with us um, Sam Parrott. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm not the big fish. Hey, everybody. Happy to have you back. We have Travis Moorhead, Executive Director of Three Rivers Land Trust, with us today. And we're really excited to talk about where the land trust has been and, and where Travis has taken it and where we're headed um, in 2019 and beyond. So uh, welcome, Travis. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So Travis, um, we've talked about him um, probably in every episode at least a little bit. Um, but Travis is the executive director of now Three Rivers Land Trust. Um, so when I say big kahuna, I'm buttering him, buttering him up for my paycheck. <laughs> um, but uh, no, Travis, Travis makes the big decisions um, guided by the board of directors. And so Travis, um, introduce yourself um, and let listeners know um, exactly exactly who you are and, and uh, maybe some of the how you got into your position, but sure. even more importantly, what your position entails sure. now. Sure. So, uh, you know, Sam mentioned that the land trust is, I'm taking the land trust somewhere, and, and that's not the case. The, Sam and the staff uh, do all the heavy lifting around here. I'm just lucky enough to be a part of the team. Going back sort of to Cody's question, um, so I grew up in the region. I grew up in Stanley County um, off Valley Drive near Mar Mountain State Park. Uh, in my youth, I fished in local ponds, I hunted airheads in local fields, and uh, I got to hunt uh, on neighbors' farms, uh, the same neighbors that would share their vegetables in the summertime. Um, a lot of folks accused me of being growing up in Mayberry, and uh, and it's probably true. I, I have a Mayberry, very memorable uh, childhood, it being very Mayberry-like. Um, this is a great place to grow up, and, and a great place for conservation, to get a conservation ethic and sort of grow up in that kind of mindset and uh, to be able to come back um sam and, and cody know that I, I spent some time after i graduated from appalachian uh in the military so i was uh stationed at fort bragg um and i was an infantry officer uh i jumped out of planes for a living i completed airborne school ranger school and a, and a bunch of other schools i did did a combat tour in iraq in 2003 2004 and so um as a general rule that drives a lot of my uh decision making and a lot of my um personality uh, comes from that background and so you know uh, that's that's what I do um, or did uh, then I took a job with Carolina went into private planning after I got out of the military into uh, local government and private land use planning and I saw the development creep I saw uh, what was happening and uh, I got lucky enough to come back home when the market crashed in 2008 and get a job with the Carolina Threat Trail where I worked as a planner to uh, get a regional plan adopted and to build and uh, greenways and, and plan for greenways across the region. And uh, just fortunate enough in 2016 to uh, be hired as the executive director here and took that job in February. And uh, it's been a great, great ride so far. <laughs> well, uh, I was trying to wrap my head around how somebody goes from jumping out of planes to planning greenways, but define greenway um, for me and the listener. Yeah, so greenways, it was a system of trails. They could be 
uh, paved trails or natural surface trails, and, and I preferred, and it was easier to build uh, and cheaper to build natural surface trails that uh, and blueways that connected the region, which were paddle trails. So um, I think between Crystal and I, we've been a part of every major uh, paddle launch in the region uh, at some level, 11 uh, paddle launches, I think I, ca- I counted up. We've been a part of either planning, designing, and implementing about 11 uh, local paddle uh launch spots across the region. So I did I did not know that. I think this this ties into our last episode. It's kind of like carrying on with the last episode where we were talking about sprawl and kind of some of the um, the threats that are really affecting our area. And um, it's interesting that you came from a development background and city planning background and saw that and then moved decided to move into conservation. I think that fits in perfectly. I went the reverse. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the Greenway thing that and the, the launches especially, that's something that's benefiting the public. That's that, right. That folks don't realize we do. That's right. Um, so I'm glad you said that. I've never brought that up really. Um, so your background was in city planning, then you became the executive di- director. Excuse me, director. Uh, what hurdles did you hit right off the bat? Yeah, sure. Um, well. Th- with new leadership, there's always growing pains. Um, I had a very, very good board. Uh, the board was dedicated to seeing this organization uh, thrive and survive, and so uh, I had their full support. But one of the first things they asked me during the interview process was, you know, what are you going to do different um, to, to make sure this organization is financially and economically sustainable into the future? We have very, very uh, generous donors uh, that have been very good to us for a number of years, but... Uh, you know, if we lost their support in any one shape or form, we would really be uh, in a predicament. So uh, the encouragement from the board was to grow the base. How are you going to do that? And so that was the question in my interview. And I told him, I said, you know, the first thing I would do is, is look at getting sportsmen involved uh, with the land trust. Coming from a sister land trust in Charlotte, seeing how really there was no sportsmen there. There weren't sportsmen in that um, capacity. And how this organization had grown up being supportive of sportsmen, but not really having a, a giant influence for sportsmen. And, and not to overstate sportsmen one way or the other, they just need to be included at the table. So um, one of my first decisions was to uh, hire Mikey, uh, who you all have, have heard from before. Uh, that was the best decision I had made uh, to date, uh, It was to get her on board. She opened up the Sportsman Access Program, brought her years of experience and her background to really open up that, and to encourage sportsmen to participate in local conservation. And that's really what it's all about. We want to have every demographic, whether you see yourself as a paddler or a hiker or a hunter uh, or an angler, we want to have you involved in in local conservation or a farmer. I mean, folks think that farming isn't part of agriculture or isn't a part of rather conservation, and it is. Uh, We want to make sure that those those thoughts and their their ideas are representative. So we want to have everybody at the table. Mm. Good answer. To to backtrack uh, for a second, what what, uh, month and year were you? Yes, yeah, so I, I started in February of 2016 and uh, hired Mikey in June of 2016. Um, at that time, our base, Mikey's number one goal when I brought her on was to, to grow the base, no, no matter if it was sportsman or, or whatever. And so we wanted to grow the base. Uh, we were around 450-ish members that we could put a, our finger on. Um, and uh, Mikey's charge was to grow the base. And today, or after you know this year, we will have more than double the base. We were almost, thanks to Sam and Mikey and Steely's efforts, 
at uh, over a thousand members. Uh, new program, sportsman program, Leopold Society for for youth, um, youth events. Uh, really put a new dynamic and, and also opened up new partnerships. I mean, think about it. Um, there were a lot of sportsman-related organizations that wouldn't really talk to us uh, much when I first got here. But once we started having conversations and, and involving sportsmen in it, it opened it up. We now have a $100,000 pledge from the National Wild Turkey Federation that's going to go towards the Alcoa Gamelands Projects, conserving Save the Yadkin. Um, Ducks Unlimited partnered with us on turkey or duck hunts and, and National Wild Turkey on, on youth hunts. And so it really has opened up a whole new avenue for everybody to be involved and support local conservation. Yeah, I think that's something that we've never touched on on the show before. But like Travis said, we tried to engage that sportsman demographic, and we started these youth hunts not only to engage youth, which we have the Leopold Society for as well, um, but that demographic of hunters. And so we partnered with NWTF um, from the very beginning for these youth hunts that we have on our property where we're getting kids that may not have the opportunity to hunt to come out on conserved land and, and experience that in, uh, in a safe and educational environment and develop friendships through those partnerships. And, I mean, we've been building those relationships for a few years now and have a lot of really good friends from it, one. But, two, that led to a $100,000 check for local conservation from an organization that Travis said not many local land trusts are, are really targeting and, and getting money from. And that was correct me if I'm wrong, the biggest donation that the state chapter of NWTF has ever given an organization. So it's a really big, uh, big get for us, and we're, we're happy to have them as partners and friends, for sure. Well, it, it displays to another longstanding nonprofit like NWTF that we're shooting for the same target, the same goal, uh, and that's the future of conservation, which is what we were doing by getting those youth hunts together and organizing those and sponsoring them and having a place for folks to go um nwtf recognizes that and therefore they align with our mission and so that's something you did and we're able to uh, get underway that hadn't happened and i want to make it clear that the land trust was not a new organization when you no. when you came here um you, a member base of 400 members that was over 20 years that's of, right of work um and then in the past three years You've doubled that, so so that's that's great. That's great outreach. Um, thanks to you, thanks to the the team you've assembled, um, and so I think that speaks uh, a lot to folks being interested in conservation here locally. Not only membership and outreach, but I mean you can talk about financials as well. Um, and twenty years of work that we've been doing. I mean, what was the financial state and where are we now? And I think that kind of ties into your military background a little yeah. bit and kind of. Uh, well, to be on top of the ball. This organization um, did a tremendous amount of conservation work, and they, and they really put themselves out there. When, when I took the helm, I, I didn't know that I realized it at the time, uh, we were over a million dollars in debt due to projects. Now, we had a way out of it, but that's a long claw, a long way to sort of claw your way out of that debt. So there was a plan. We executed that plan, but uh, it, it's not easy to go to bed at night thinking about being a million dollars in debt on projects um, for the public. And that's the other thing that this organization has done is that this organization has put project after project into the public ownership, over 4,000 acres, and has rarely taken any credit or has sought any credit. And, and that can be humbling, and, and it is to have that humble attitude. But in the same time, the public needs to know that these lands don't get transferred into public agencies without this organization. If you want to add land to the National Forest, you are a National Forest, you don't do that as a private property owner. You have to come through the land trust because they won't deal with folks like normal folks like us. Um, 
if you want to add lands to game lands or whatever, this organization has filled that gap and played that role. And uh, if you enjoy public lands here in the Piedmont, chances are the Land Trust for Central North Carolina, now Three Rivers, uh, played a part in making sure that happened. That, that's a great clarifier. Um, there's reasons why you can't participate in adding acreage to the public ownership, but there's no other organization other than land trusts all across the state and the country that fill that niche with the exception of maybe NWTF or Ducks Unlimited, but none of those folks have the capacity to hold and own land the way land trusts do. Um, And when I say hold land, it's not holding it for themselves, but holding it for the three years or five years that it takes for a government agency to get the funding and the management plan together in order to purchase the land and continue to manage it for public access. That's right. And like we talked in the last episode, I mean, the, the great thing about land trusts is they're regionally aware and they're and they're focused on one central area and when you're trying to do a conservation project in this region it's coming through us um, and we're we have a focus of 10 counties and we're doing the work here in your own backyard for the people that live and, and that we service and, and and that's a great point Sam is the fact that the central Piedmont is a nebulous term and people don't know where it begins or where it ends but I'm sure you've talked about it before on the show you know that urban crescent around us you got Charlotte Greensboro, Winston, High Point, you know, coming across to, you know, to Durham and to Cary and to Raleigh and then back down to Fayetteville. That urban crescent, um, we're the great middle. We, we have everything there, and it's, it's predominantly rural, which we speak rural. Um, we don't speak, I don't speak Charlotte very well or maybe Greensboro very well, but I can talk rural pretty well. Uh, it's where I grew up. It's who I am. And so um, we have a great opportunity to conserve the remaining part of the Piedmont and to do it with people that understand our mission, to understand we're not there to, you know, to take anything from them. We just want to make sure that uh, the rural landscapes, family farms, and historic places, you know, stay like they are as best as we can do it to balance out that development aspect. That, that's the perfect. You ready for a transition? I'm ready. That's the perfect transition from historically what a land trust has done to what you have continued to do and enforce and add to um, to now. We're gonna. I want to recap a little on this past year's successes, um, things we did to engage um, potential members and and folks that are likewise interested. Yeah. And all demographics. Um, so, I've got a list of, of things I want to talk about just briefly, but kind of going in calendar format in order from January. Start with the the burden trip um, that we did. Um, something you organized and and what was that about? So, yeah, I, and I, I, I can't take credit for organizing it. The staff comes up with these great ideas, and, and I, I'm lucky to be at the top and get a lot of credit that is undue me, uh, not due to me, rather. Um, but Crystal uh, had a great relationship with the PD Wildlife Refuge and, and got us a sneak peek uh, when all the birds come into the Wildlife Refuge in Anson and Richmond County, and they're sitting there, and there are just tons of ducks and geese and uh, all kinds of, uh, of birds there. Uh, she got us in uh, with a sneak peek, and... That was a membership-driven event, a friend maker, and so people came out. They've realized what we do. Uh, they had a great experience, and they end up joining. And so that just goes along to everything we try to do uh, throughout the year. Yeah. So folks got to now. Granted, wildlife refuges are open to the public, but this particular wildlife refuge has areas that are um, sanctuary areas, uh, if you will. So um, we were able to get a special access to That's go right. view that. Um, so that that was a great event. Um, rolling right into March of last year, we did something called the Conservation Classic. Um, yeah. Kind of catered to a different group. 
That's right. So, yeah, the, the, the bird watchers uh, first uh, in the year, and then we came into the Conservation Classic, which engaged local businesses around Stanley County, Montgomery County, Anson County, uh, lower part of our region, to come in and have a, a clay shoot for conservation, to walk away with the Conservation Classic. It's our second year doing it. This will be our third coming up. Um, and it had a great turnout. We had a great success, uh, great food, uh, more shooters than we had the year before. We expected to grow this year, but it's just engaging different different demographics that all enjoy conservation. Yeah. So we went from we went from the birding trip to the conservation classic um, skeet tournament, um, and then we rolled into a, a tree planting. Um, I'm just going to call it a tree planting. That's right. Maybe break that down a little. We might have another episode in the future about. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But. So Cody is our conservation lands manager, and what he does on the on the on the lands that we own and how he manages it. Let me interrupt. Yeah, I was told I watched trees grow. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it, do you have to do anything for that? Is what they, what what Cody was asked one day, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. And so Cody does a tremendous job to make sure that we're fulfilling our obligations to steward our lands as a part of our strategic plan. We want to care for the lands that we actually own, uh, and so Cody does that, and so. Um, he saw a need uh, to, to plant some trees, and so we had a hardwood tree planting that he organized. He and Sam both uh, went out there and dug about 2,500 holes with a hand auger. Let's make that 4,000. 4,000. 4,000 holes. Uh, and it was, uh, it, was, it was an amazing event. I had a lot of folks come out and volunteer with us. Folks traveled from as far south as Norwood to come up and volunteer with us from Michelin. Uh, tire and it just it turned out to a great. It was on Channel Eight News. You guys were on yeah, the news. We were on the news. Uh, great family event, but just we're we're trying to make sure that we're taking care of what we're given. No matter if it's a donor's dollar or the dollar that's been put into conservation lands, we want to make sure we're stewarded the best way we can. Yeah, we've touched on that one before, but I mean, again, this discussion is really about reaching out to all demographics, and that was a that was a new one. We had a lot of college students. Um, middle school students, local middle school students, corporations, sportsmen, uh, everybody across the, the gamut of conservation was there participating in that. And then it's, I mean, it's giving back. So that was a, that was a really cool one for us. Yeah, and I found out that some some folks, that's that's their method of, of getting outside and conservation, whereas mine might be hunting and fishing. Um, I talked to several college-age folks who, they said, this is our thing. We look for groups that are doing tree plantings and that's what we do every weekend this is our this is our deal okay and they they, they had their own gear i mean they were set up for it and double bars and all yeah i was i was very impressed by <laughs> that and did not know that that was a hobby i, I treated as work but, that's right but um i thought that was cool we talked about our youth hunts um we had a youth turkey hunt we can we can what successful hunt that was yeah though? it was it was super successful um something that we did that kind of got that ball rolling with nwtf even more because it was a partnership hunt through those guys, they provided some of the guides, um, some of the beverages and, and snacks, and had uh, two two kids get their first ever wild turkey, Big Tom. They beat me. I hadn't got one yet, so <laughs> so, so that was great. Um, talk about the paddle series. That's kind of your brain, yeah, now, brainchild. That, that was the paddle series. Was I will take credit, good or bad, for that. Um, I wanted to show the folks. I wanted the, the folks to see the region, like we see the region. You know, we're out a lot. We get to. The privilege, uh, thanks to members and donors, to, to go out and do our jobs. Um, but we uh, we had our first paddle race series on the Uwari River in May. Uh, it had a wet May last year. It had a wet spring, so we were borderline on whether we were going to go or no go it because of the water levels. But it turned out to be perfect, and so we had our first race there. Uh, the first winner 
the, the number one finisher, uh, finished that race, which is about seven miles on the Uri River, in right over an hour, not far. But uh, Lee, uh, Lee finished that in just a tremendous time. So we wanted to cater to uh, to paddlers, people that enjoy paddling, and showcase the region, showcase our, our area. And so the Uri River was one. We did uh, one on the uh, the Yadkin, um, coming down below uh, 731 uh, and, and paddling down to the PD Wildlife Refuge. And that was the Richmond County chapter. A chapter helped lead that event, um, Mikey's chapter. And so uh, that was another one. They, they both had about 30 participants each in it, um, but everybody was super excited and wanted us to do more. We have one more that we're trying to plan to showcase all the rivers that we serve in our namesake. So the Yakin River, the Uwari River, and, and the final one we'll have will be on the Rocky River. So um, we're, we're trying to cater to that demographic. Yeah, and I will I will throw in two clarifiers. First one being the Yakin is the same as the PD it transitions. We <laughs> That's talk, right. talked about that once before, but I, I feel like I have to reiterate. Um, and then the other thing is um, those paddles, those races were all either near or directly adjacent to conserved properties conserved by the land trust That's right. um, touching waterfront. So instead of paddling by subdivisions and boat docks, they were getting to paddle through a somewhat pristine wilderness. That's right. I'd like to add another clarifier, which is they're called – it's called a race series, uh, and Travis is talking about the, the front end of the race series and how fast the first guy was. We had a lot of people who signed up for the event who said, I'm not interested in racing at all. <laughs> so, yeah, we could talk about the guy yeah, who, that's finished, right. who finished in an hour, or we could talk about the group that finished in three and a half hours, too. Right. Um, but anybody who wants to come out and experience those, those rivers and do it, whether you want to race or you just want to float, uh, it's open for you. Or we can talk about your offspring sweeping up. Oh. At the end. <laughs> we the, we make the races as safe as possible by having folks stationed throughout the the series of the trip, um, and then at the end there's an individual floating along the back line, making sure that everybody makes it out safely. And good stories behind it that we won't go into. <laughs> um, but anyways, everybody made it home safe. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about our our. The big kahuna of our events, um, River Dance. Yeah. Um, just briefly touch on what it is and what that does for conservation. R- River Dance is a really a Salisbury centric event. We help, we hold it here. It's been held here for decades, um, and it's really a end of summer kind of party. Um, a lot of folks come because they support the land trust and they they like what we do. They probably don't know a lot about conservation um, for the most part, and they don't know exactly what we do throughout the year, but they know it's a good party. And so they come to uh, Salisbury for Riverdance, and they enjoy great bands, great food, a great atmosphere, and they get to learn or at least hear a little bit about uh, the land trust and what we do and, and why we do it. And so um, Mikey spearheaded that event, great event, great food this year, and it was even better this year, guys, because we had to do less of the cleanup and less of the setup than we had in the past. So it was uh, uh, certainly a blessing in that regard. It's also where we became Three Rivers Land Trust that night. That's right. Yep. That was the night yep. that we changed our changed our name, so that made it even more of a party. And the folks that come get to bid and, and yep. look at all kinds of outdoor rec- recreation-related stuff. That's right. Um, speaking, of, uh, speaking of that, just to touch on it real quick, you know how Cody and I have this uh, recurring top guide competition <laughs> um, we had we had one individual who bid. I offered a fly fishing trip, and uh, guided fly fishing trip, and Cody offered a guided woodcock hunt, which you're actually going to take the the same guy who bid on it, bid on both of ours, and won both of ours. So 
this is actually the next edition of Top Guide. I took him on my fly fishing trip in the fall. Had a great trip. Had a real successful fishing trip. So Cody's kind of got uh, trying to set the bar. Trying, yeah, the bar's set. You just got to. <laughs> I mean, wow. you got to show this man a good time. Well, we're going this weekend, and I have no doubt we will all have a good time. I know you. Uh, well, more on that later episode. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this. Was your also. Um, your uh, your brainchild. Let's talk about MLF. Define yeah. MLF and tell yeah. tell folks why that relates to us. Super proud of of the effort that staff did this year. Um, we actually received. I, I can't take all the credit again, but we had a re, we had a phone call from a local resident uh, that um, wanted us to do call MLF and see if they'll hold an event. MLF is Major League Fishing. It's the number one fishing show. Actually, it's the number one show overall on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, they also are covered on Discovery and several other networks. Um, so we, Mikey called them and lined it up that they would be interested in, in coming to the Yak and Chain and filming. And then uh, we executed that uh, this past November. They came. Uh, they showcased uh, the region, our waters, uh, the land trust, and what we do and have done in the past. And uh, we're super excited about that partnership because, you know, anglers are a part of conservation just like hunters are. And so they're all they're all together. And so they enjoy clean water to fish in. We wanted to showcase that. Um, and what the feedback was, guys, and I don't know if you, I told you this or not, but the anglers were very impressed with the quality of fish they caught, uh, not only the poundage, but also just how good the fish looked health-wise. And so uh, you don't have great clean waters and great fishing if you don't have clean waters, and, and that comes back to, to land conservation. And so um, pat on the back to, to certainly the staff here and, and our sister agencies across their organizations across the region to make sure that this this came off but it was a uh we're excited we're looking forward to seeing how it shows on tv but uh, we've been assured it's going to show well so may 11th we'll have some kind of premiere party and uh, have folks come down and watch it with us from the membership and outreach side one thing that travis has uh, really pushed on us is exposure and getting our name out there and uh, through this effort kind of spearheaded by travis and, and mikey this is national exposure so this is something that we're really proud of. We've, we've really worked hard on our regional exposure and exposure across the state of North Carolina, but this is kind of uncharted territory for us. Um, something that we want more of is exposure on the national level, and uh, really proud of it and, and good work by Travis and Cody on that. Well, I, I tell you, it's, it's a team effort. The thing about it is you heard me say earlier that we weren't well-known throughout the region, so our goal was to build an audience. And so we started building an audience on Facebook and social media. We're building an audience nationwide. We were just covered on, on uh, the Quality Deer Management's Instagram page. Their, their editor-in-chief covered what we do here in the office, and they're going to run an article on us. It's so important for us uh, to have that exposure so people know what we do, identify with the mission, and support us uh, financially to do that. So uh, it, it's it's critical. That, that's, that's, that's going to be a good segue that I'm going to say. I'm going to save that one up. But, um, yeah, I think it's something that, not only have we never done national exposure, but I don't think any land trusts. Oh, that's get, right. And, and it's a shame because a lot of them need it. Um, we don't get national exposure because we were operating in a little ten county area, but it's a ten county area that affects a good portion of the Carolinas because we're feeding into Winyaw Bay, um, our watershed. Right. That's right. And therefore, all the way downstream into South Carolina. Those folks are dependent on us for clean water. Well, and that's a great point, Cody. And, and the fact that I didn't mention it earlier, but the the folks at Major League Fishing had never partnered with a nonprofit 
uh, conservation group before. In fact, they'd only partnered with a convention and visitors bureau, a chamber of commerce in a city. They had never stepped out and partnered with somebody like us, and we were the first ones to partner with. And so we were honored by that, and so we're waiting to see how it shows in May, but uh, we're certainly excited about that partnership. Yeah, so am I. Um, last thing, uh, event-wise, that I can think of was our was our dove hunt, which was our first sportsman catered type event. Um, something that you and I had had in the works for yeah. ever since ever since I started here. It was something we'd talked about that would be really fun, good way to get folks involved and, and let them know what we do while they're doing something they like to do. So yes, yeah, touch give, on that. Yeah, Cody's gonna give me a hard time about this because. Um, Again, I trust Cody, uh, but he's. I, I love to have a dove hunt. I, I grew up dove hunting. I remember doing it over soybean fields and whatnot. And so he said, Cody says, "Well, let's let's plant uh, millet, millet, uh, and I'm going to burn it, and uh, you're going to see these doves flock down." And I, you know, I'm a dumb country boy, and I don't know much. But when Cody said he's going to burn it, I'm like, "Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because the seed's going to be gone and the doves won't be there." But he says, "Trust me, you'll you you'll have a good hunt. It'll be a good time." And so. Uh, Cody executed his plan. He planted it. Uh, he he tore up about four tractors. Uh, <laughs> that's, three, that's the fact. Three discs and all kinds of stuff. But he got it planted, and uh, through sheer determination, uh, spent out. I mean, I think several weeks. He was coming in at midnight and, and later after putting equipment away. But he got it all planted. Uh, we got a donation from NWTF on the seed, or or at least a call share on that, and. And got it planted, and uh, doggone, if, if uh, I went out there and shot 10 doves uh, in a couple of hours, then I know that uh, some people that can really shoot really did well. So uh, it was a lot of fun, and that was thanks to Cody and Sam and, and a lot of folks on staff here putting that on and for folks coming out. Um, really sort of a low-price, low fun day to spend uh, Labor Day. Yep, had lunch and uh, basically anything you could think of. We were, we were helping folks out, in and out, waters, uh, catering to everybody driving them in driving them out mm, so it was uh, it was a good time yeah uh and that's it made a little money for conservation too made some money got some new some new faces involved with us um so it was a success but one thing i'd like to touch on before you go ahead is um all of these events one it's exposure to our region our natural resources which is wonderful we're trying to get anybody involved but two um the membership cost or the cost associated with these events, one, you become, like Travis was talking about earlier, we're trying to increase our membership numbers, reach more people, get more people involved with our organization. So we're getting more members because part of your, uh, by coming to these events, part of that funding is going to a membership fee that that makes you a member of the land trust so that you get our newsletters and you learn more from us. Maybe you'll come back to another event. Um, and that's that's huge for us. I mean, that really is taking that number from 450 people to 1,000. Um, that really came from these events targeting all these demographics and giving everybody a chance to, one, enjoy our natural resources and come out and meet the staff and have a fun time, but two, become a member and then engage with us further into the future uh, on our next event that we'll have for you. So um, that's kind of what ties all this together, I think. And it's, it's the perfect episode to have after last week talking with Crystal, um, talking about the purpose of all these events. That was what Crystal was talking about last week, is that actual land conservation. The purpose of these events is to funnel everybody's mindset and their their wallets towards an important goal, such as what Crystal talked about last week. And it's not, I mean, yeah, we want you to come to an event and have a good time and, and mm-hmm. have, you know, recreate or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. 
but we're not putting that on solely for you to have a good time. We're putting it on so that Crystal can do what she talked about last week. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that Travis has done a – I think you've done a great job of, of incorporating these events and figuring out how to make our, our face out there to the public so they know. Yeah, it's critical. I mean, that every member supports local conservation. Every new member we get, that money helps support the, the staff here that, that make sure that local conservation happens. You know, Crystal does a great job, but without a paycheck, Crystal's not doing it for free. So, you know, we got to fund the organization so that you can do these great projects. And I know you probably mentioned this before, but last year in 2018, we had a 13 to 1 ratio where every dollar that was given for an operational gift to the land trust, we went out and fundraised and got grants for $13 of of rather project gifts. And so um, that ratio probably won't be repeated next year, guys. I'd love to say we could. But 13 to 1, when you give us a dollar, we turn it into 13 for on-the-ground conservation here in the region. That's hard to beat. I wish I could get a uh, CD at the bank for that. That's right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's a good cap of a year of, of work compared to what we talked about last week. Let's touch on one thing. We're going to have a whole another program, probably multiple programs, dedicated to this topic. But I want I want to hit on it because it took up so much of our time last year um, is going to continue to take up so much of our time, and that's the uh, the Alcoa project that you mentioned, the Save the Yakin. You right. talked about it a little bit. Yep. Um, just give us give us an overview. So Save the Yakin is uh, a commitment the Land Trust made in 2007. Um, we, we signed on as a signatory to the relicensing settlement agreement with Alcoa, um, and what it said was that Alcoa would sell 4,700 acres and 76 miles of shoreline on the Yakin River to two agencies the land trust or the state of North Carolina. Now we're partnering with the state of North Carolina to make sure that that land gets conserved and stays in public access for decades to come. Alcoa has owned it previously, as you guys know, you both hunt it, but it's always been managed by the Wildlife Resources Commission. Well, now we're trying to buy it so the Wildlife Commission and the state of North Carolina can own it and still maintain that uh, recreational component. If we don't, uh, they're going to put it on the market for uh, a lot of money and uh, the sportsmen and the public in general uh, lose out from a lot of different perspectives. So um, to date, we've raised $5.7 million to go towards that project, Phase 1. Uh, we have $2 million to go. I have uh, My marching orders are, are pretty tight. i got nine months to raise $2 million so that the Alcoa lands, Phase 1, can happen. If we don't get Phase 1, we lose the opportunity on Phase 2, and that's 4,700 acres and 76 miles of shoreline that will never be conserved uh, in one fell swoop like it can be here. So we need your help. I know Cody and Sam are always talking about this and, and always asking you guys for your help, but this is a project we need help on. And if there's folks out there listening, this is the one that's going to make a difference for decades to come. I'm going to name this episode the Big Kahuna because it's it's about stuff like that. I that's mean, right. It's going to be something along those lines because th- there's no bigger project coming along ever that I can, that I can foresee in this region. Um, and Alcoa... Just to give the listener, if you don't know, it's uh, they're a power company. They own the dams on the Yakin River um, for forever, as best I know. Um, and so they have decided to vacate North Carolina, and they're you know so they're they're liquidating property. That's right. And because the land trust had that had that agreement, we're in the running to get it, and we're trying to raise this money that Travis is talking about. And it's uh, extremely important to um, local and non-local hunters and anglers. I think there's some mis, uh, misconceptions right, about about this project and about our role and what the role that the land trust is playing in it. 
Um, so can you touch on those? Yeah. Uh, thanks for doing that, Sam, because there he is. Folks think we're going out there to buy this for our own use, to uh, to control it, and to start making money off of it, and that's simply not the case. Um, we've raised every dollar we've raised goes towards this project, and we will not be in the of, chain of title. This will go straight to the state of North Carolina, straight to the Wildlife Resources Commission when it's closed, and, and straight back into the public's hands so the public can enjoy it. Uh, we're just being the facilitators and trying to raise private dollars and, and government dollars to make sure that this conservation piece happens. I've had great meetings with legislators across the region, uh, even in Raleigh, that, that don't have a, a really a, know much about the project. They've all been supportive because we're not going to grow the, uh, the sport of hunting and fishing if we don't have somewhere to go. And if you want to have somewhere to go, you got to have somewhere for the Joe public to go. And, and not everybody's fortunate enough to have private land. And so this provides that opportunity for for really potentially millions of folks. I'm not sure how many people use the game lands, but your your stats show, Cody, I think that, uh, what is it, 80% of the states lives within 100 miles of that, right, that's of that exactly project? That's right. Yep. So, they don't get any bigger. So if you figure if you figure, 10 million people. Yeah, 10 million people are out there using it if that's the percentage you're going to use. So. In our last episode, we talked, uh, Crystal spoke on the restrictions that the state has to purchase property um, through Pittman-Robinson money and, and things like that. And um, this really touches on the role that we play. We're We're fundraising essentially for the state of North Carolina. They don't have the funds to fully uh, fund this project and purchase it themselves. And we're taking time out of uh, working hard right. to, to make up the rest of the money so that this stays conserved and it stays publicly accessible. So that's our role that we're, that we're playing. And we've got a limited time. I mean, it's, it, you know, a lot of folks can write, some folks can write a check for $1.8 million, $2 million and not blink. Uh, I don't know them yet, uh, but I'd like <laughs> to know them. Um, we, we have a, just a short amount of time. we got nine months, seven, nine months to, to get that pulled off. So that's where we're so at. So if you know anybody who can write a six-figure check for us, you send them our way. Absolutely. I, I think the state would be okay with renaming Alcoa Game Lands after you. If you were to take her down. Um, they, could, they could name them after the land trust. That'd be great. But uh, that's a, that's, speaking of limited time, we're, we're at the point where we're going to uh, hit my favorite part of the episode. You got to give you got to give one piece of just sweet advice. It can be anything in the world. It's maybe something wow. you wish we would have said. I'm putting you on the spot. I'll let Sam go first, and then we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to do a double again. All right, I'll make um, it quick. I'm gonna make it quick because this one's going to help you out. I think okay. unless you have one, uh, my hot tip would be coming here soon. We're going to be having a shed hunt. The land trust is going to lead it, led by Travis Moorhead, who is a shed finding machine. If you don't know what a shed hunt is, uh, ant deer we're looking for old bars. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. White-tailed deer drop their antlers every year um, around this time, maybe a little bit later in the year. Um, they've been dropping them early this year a little bit though. So Travis finds them like crazy. He's going to be taking a group out to go do that. We have the event. We'll be posting it on Facebook soon. So Travis. Do you have any shed hunting advice? Shed hunting advice. Go when it's uh, raining and go when it's uh, cold and go when it's wet. And then you will find sheds. I promise you. They stick out better. They do. White gold. Well, that being said, my hot advice is if you're a chapstick user, get yourself an empty shotgun shell, a spent shotgun hole. Stick your chapstick with the twisty side down in that when you carry it in your pocket. It won't be twisting up and getting ruined in your pocket, and you can run the same chapstick for a year. And so that's my advice. It's a good one. All right. Take care. Thanks, guys. If you like us, you're riding down the road, listening to the podcast on your commute. Well, when you get to where you're going, don't forget. 
like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, freeriverslandtrust.org. You'll find out about all the events we're putting on, how you can get involved, how you can help, how you can participate. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.